Hello, hello, hello everyone. It's the 12th of August 2021. Welcome to the UGIM podcast, episode number five. I know, I know, I know. You will say, where have you been? This episode is late. Yes, I'm so sorry. So thanks for your patience. And thanks for the messages that said, where is the next episode of the podcast? And I really hope it was worth the wait. Today we have excellent news about upcoming products. I will interview the Canadian artist and YouTuber Sarah Feldman from the YouTube channel Sounds Good. And as always, while we produce this for UJAM customers, friends and fans, everybody who writes, composes or produces music should feel right at home. So first up, very good news for those of you who are both fans of Virtual Drummer and rock music. We're dropping Virtual Drummer Brood this Thursday, August 13th. Again, music director Derek von Krog headed up the recordings and the sound design. He already signed responsible for Virtual Drummer Deep. And you could think of Virtual Drummer Brute as kind of the uh, not so well behaved and quite rebellious grandkid. So this is basically inspired by a certain type of drum sound that was kind of invented in the 1990s and has been absolute gold standard in drum production for hard and heavy genres up to today. So what exactly happened in the 90s? Basically an entire new generation of bands like Rage Against the Machine, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains and so on. They kind of reinvented rock. They had been heavily inspired by and influenced by classic rock of the 1960s and 70s by the dry drum sound, you know, not a lot of reverb on it. Uh, also very uh, in your face and punchy, cutting through the mix, not so much in the background. So they took these drum sounds from the 60s and 70s classic rock and transported it into, yes, the new area. And uh, you have to see that these bands basically uh, were working in opposition, so to speak, to the very synthetic sounds of the 1980s that were, you know, super uh, cosmetic. They used lots of digital effects and so on. Um, so these bands with their grunge and rock and heavy and punk rock styles, they kind of were in opposition to this 80s aesthetic uh, and came up with an entire new sound. And if you think about it, this sound has been a go-to for any rock production uh, for the last two and a half, maybe three decades. So let's have a quick listen how exactly Butcher Drama Brood sounds like. Virtual Drum Brute. As always, comes with five custom-made drum kits, six different mix presets, uh, one of which has been sound designed by Richie Beretta in his New York studio. Uh, that's a little uh, cherry on top there. 
Uh, over 700 phrases are included and it has been officially approved by the International Horns Sign Association. So, Virtual Drama Brute drops tomorrow. Go check it out. 30 days unlimited free trial. What's not to love? My guest today is the musician, artist and YouTuber Sarah Feldman from Canada. Sarah runs the YouTube channel Sounds Good, where she explains all kinds of musical and audio things in a very fun and comprehensible way. I found her YouTube channel just by chance. Basically, she was brought to me by the YouTube algorithm and I was so excited to see all these videos where she explains things from uh, physical modeling synthesizers and how to use them to sound waves and how they actually travel through air. And there's even a segment in one of her videos where she talks about the sound of a weasel peeing into your ear. She quotes David Foster Wallace and has described herself as the female version of a pedantic white guy. So all of that made me very curious and I am very delighted to welcome on the show today, Sarah Feldman. Hello, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> How are you? So happy to be here. I'm doing good. Yes. Where, where is here? Where is here right now? Where, where are you in the world? Well, I'm actually in Vancouver at the moment. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I've been in back and forth between the two cities for the last year, um, but I'm here mostly just on a vacation. I'm heading back to Montreal tomorrow, actually, and I'll probably mm -hmm. be there for the next couple of months. Not sure exactly, um, but the the good part is, I guess, I can leave whenever I want, basically. So okay. there's a bit of tension and it being sort of undecided, but um, uh -huh. like in terms of where I want to set up, but so also... So you're, you're in like a tra transient time, you know, between two places and, yeah. and finding out where to spend the majority of your time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's that's uh, Vancouver, Vancouver on the and forgive my ignorance with Canadian uh, geography. It's <laughs> on the uh, on the west coast. That's right. And, yeah, and Montreal is on the on the east coast. Yeah, closer to the east coast. Yeah, like it's well, it's like sort of uh, in line with the American east coast, but our east coast goes out quite a bit further still. Um, But because it's Canada, there's not a lot of people <laughs> living in that space. <laughs> <laughs> in between, the space in between is empty. Yeah, and that's a good point. I I have never been to Canada, unfortunately. Uh, so maybe you can um, okay can tell me a little bit. Can tell me a little bit like Vancouver, Montreal. How 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 do I have to imagine those? What are they comparable to? Yeah, wow, uh, such a good question. I mean, what living in Montreal looks like for somebody like me, whose first language is English, and I do speak French like fairly well, but I have not uh, mastered the language. Um, and so for me, my life in Montreal looks like sort of being in a fairly small enclave of uh, English speakers who are from either mm -hmm. the US or from elsewhere in Canada. Um, and that really mediates a lot of our experience. Uh, interesting. So it's like an English speaking outsider community a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think the kinds of people that end up there are typically those who are maybe looking to not um, participate in mainstream society in the same ways um, that sort of your quote unquote average person might be. Um, just like skitty or, you know, weirdos and uh, which which yeah, is like an alternative alternative vibe a little bit yeah like you know as much as one as much as one can um so yeah that's montreal it's a very special very special and unique place um it does have this kind of like uh never neverland vibe i guess in the sense that uh it, it's it's hard to make a transition from um you know living this kind of more like a lifestyle that is more oriented around like Uh, making art and like hanging out and and less so around like having a, a career or like saving money or mm -hmm. um, having these kinds of other forms of stability. Um, and Reminds me a little bit of Berlin and Germany. That's the definitely <laughs> that's kind of the cliche. Yeah, I was, I, <laughs> everybody everybody does art. Nobody goes to work. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's the cliche at least. Yes. For sure, for sure. And I think you know it would be it would be great if it were a little bit easier 
you know, it's it's too bad that these things are sort of um, seemingly in conflict with one another, you mm -hmm. know, like developing long-term stability and being like, well, I want to be able to like retire at some point. Um, and that means that I have to make more mm -hmm. than just the basic amount that I need to live right now. Um, it's too bad that that like, you know, it would be great if it were easier for people to continue to, you know, make art and uh, not have those pressures on themselves. So we have the Never Never Land that's partially, mostly French speaking, only partially English speaking on the East Coast. And then, and then how is Vancouver different on the other side? You know, Vancouver is like a Pacific climate. It's really a lot more like, it feels more like Seattle or something of the or Portland in terms of the climate and, and, and also like culture, like people are really like outdoorsy here and stuff, which they aren't necessarily in Saskatoon. But the main things that sort of mediate my experience here are um, having access to the whole city and feeling mm -hmm. comfortable talking to anyone. Um, language-wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, language-wise. I mean, the, the, the thing with Montreal is that there's like, it's not just language differences. There's like very, very intense like language, uh, like politics and like tension. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of Quebecois just probably would prefer that there weren't um, a bunch of Anglophones living there. And mm -hmm. they definitely don't uh, hide the fact that they feel that way. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that's so interesting. That's yeah. so interesting that you mentioned these cultural frictions because funny enough and again i'm you know i don't know much about canada but my image is always like if you have the us and canada us the us is like the flashy schoolyard bully and yeah then you then i think most germans or at least me and i guess some others to think of yeah. canada as like the sensible cousin that's more quiet right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's more yeah. that's more peaceful uh, yeah. So, yeah i mean i think i think you know to an extent, yes, but I don't think it's that much different. Like, um, so it's the not so sensible cousin, yeah, of the fleshy schoolyard bully. <laughs> Maybe not. No, it's the somewhat, the somewhat relatively sensible yeah a little bit because like maybe we have our shit together slightly more but but really we're all we're uh -huh. all cut from the same same cloth probably <laughs> <laughs> and how is it so you are you are a musician yeah a solo musician musician in a band um and so i wonder always when i think about countries so how is it that being a musician in in canada you mentioned that there's a basic social net mm -hmm. maybe a little bit different than in the us mm -hmm. how is the you know cu cultural musical ecosystem how does that look like it's i think like i mean montreal is like a has been like a very strong place for music communities and it's it's i think generally like pretty supportive um i think Montreal is kind of like the place where like everyone has a band and Toronto is kind of the place where people uh -huh. who can professionalize their careers live. So, and so to, to form a band, I, I, I moved to Montreal. Probably. Yeah. Do a little more professional. Like, I don't know, advertisement. I go to Toronto. Do I get that, that right? Yeah. Bas basically. Yeah. 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 Okay, and then Montreal, similar to Toronto, or is there a specialty there? In, in Vancouver, you mean? Uh, sorry, in Vancouver, yes. Or, yeah, yeah um, well, I think Vancouver is really kind of the film the film city, actually. Ah, okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, for me, coming here is kind of more for personal reasons than it is for professional ones, mm -hmm. I would say. Like, um, I just have, like, a lot of friends here, and I just feel very, like, comfortable and, like, happy I'm not, I'm not like rushing out here for like a bunch of great musical opportunities. because I don't think it wouldn't be the place to go if that's, if that was my number one priority. Yeah. And let's get, let's get to that because of course that's the main reason yeah. why we're, uh, or why we're talking today. Yes. Yes. Um, and thanks <laughs> by the way, for my mental map of Canada, uh, has been greatly improved in the last, uh, uh, great. Uh, I'm so 10, glad 15 minutes and maybe, <laughs> and maybe our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> maps too yeah so so let's talk uh, about this a little bit you said that your work is mainly uh, can be done online and you're yeah. a musician you have a band that's called watering um you do solo projects as a musician but you're also a can i say that a youtuber <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. No, I'm trying to let's let's uh, let's de-shame de-shaming the term YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, to, to me, it's uh, I I guess people wear it with a badge of honor. Uh, um, I'm just some people do uh, is exactly, but um, I'm not, always not sure how how people take that. So, but of course, YouTube is just a medium for sure. Exactly, it's. It's just a medium, and what I'd say. So, what I'd say to maybe give our listeners a little bit of an idea is: you run a YouTube channel where you yes. um, uh, explain and introduce musical and audio technical concepts uh, yep. to your audience. And uh, if I can say with my, you know, my personal uh, um, take on it, is you yeah. make very complex things. Very complicated and complex things, very easy and and very fun to listen to. Awesome! So well, the, thank you so much. <laughs> so the channel is <laughs> called Sounds Good. That's um, right. Sounds Good by Sarah Feldman on YouTube. So how did that happen? How how did that happen that you you started Sounds Good? Yeah, um, it's a, that's a good question. Well, I think that like the longer term. Uh, vision is that something like this has probably been simmering I don't know since I was a teenager like I think I've just um, always been very 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 curious about so many music related topics like I you know even even when like I remember just like sort of the year that I graduated from high school like I got these um, these records the they're called the anthology of noise and early electronic music from Sub Rosa um, and there are these wonderful, like triple LPs where they have, um, but so they're like, you know, each, each piece is from a different sort of like generally like 20th century electronic music or experimental music composer. Um, and, um, reading about their lives and, um, and their ideas and just being like, wow, this, like, I, I want to be like these people, like they're like the coolest. Um, <laughs> Cause that's, that's how I spoke. That's how I thought when I, I was I want to be an avant-garde sound future music person. Totally. Yeah. I was just like, so <laughs> inspired by that. And then, um, I guess like that led me to do, um, a degree in electroacoustics at Concordia university in Montreal. That um, sounds hardcore. That sounds very technical. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's actually mostly focused. It's not terribly technical. Like, it definitely is. But um, I would say that, like, it's mm -hmm. mostly focused around ear training. Um, and I think the underlying logic of the whole program is basically, like, if you can hear with a lot of detail, um, then you can, you can do anything in sound. Like, sort of, like, you can teach yourself how to use this, you know, mm -hmm. a program or uh, a piece of gear or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like whether it's in a studio or as a composer or making sounds for film or sound effects or something like this, right? Um, so do I get this right? It basically teaches you like a formalized way of listen analytically. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I think that's a pretty good, um, a pretty good take on it. Yeah. And that's, that's really, for example, like something that really where I even noticed I I, um, I needed a refresher on some of the basics. I love your video on sound waves. Oh, great! And in and in <laughs> this, um, you have this scene in there where you you stand outside. It's like a wide angle shot, and you're standing in front of a wall <laughs> with another person, and you both both are holding the ends of a rope. Yeah, and you're like shaking the rope. And I, I really had to chuckle because I, I felt it was a good um, refresher to myself and it yeah. was a good um, actually reminder that, you know, in our music tech environment and scene, you have, you know, forums that are full of people fighting about whether, I don't know, this DAW is better than that DAW. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder how much they have, you know, actually wrapped their mind around the very basics of, you know, what we're doing. Like yeah. what is actually Soundwave yeah. and how do things work? <laughs> and this is something that I really learned in my program. I had one one professor in particular who just, like, that was his thing. Was to just be like, it can take you a long time to really grasp, like, some fundamental concept but then once you have it, you can flip it on its head. You can manipulate it in any way that you want. And it's 
it's maybe not like it's not the like fast reward like oh cool i like figured this thing out but once you get like something like the concept of spectrum to like really click the the world just opens up so i think i try to be very fundamental in my approach to explaining and understanding uh mm -hmm. musical concepts and i think that probably helps it it, it helps in in allowing me to make it more clear mm -hmm. you know in one of your, so I'm wondering, in one of your videos, you actually, you mentioned David Foster Wallace, oh, yeah. uh, who, uh, open parentheses, I, <laughs> I also adore his uh, writing or a lot of his writing. Right, um, right, right. And, and what you say about yourself there is you're, you're a little bit, I don't ex remember it exactly, but something like I'm the female version of pedantic white guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so this being pedantic is that something yeah. that helps with that? With this, like you know, getting into the fundamentals and really taking them apart. Oh my goodness! I mean, I think that that was really. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Where Where are you pedantic? How can How can I tell that you're you're pedantic? Because I cannot tell from your videos, apart from that they seem to be meticulously planned. <laughs> meticulously thought out absolutely yeah no i think it's more of just sort of like a way of teasing myself for mm -hmm. being uh for being nerdy i think that i try to uh divest from being pedantic as much as i can uh mm -hmm. but that like i think i think that i'm just like somebody who you know i spend a lot of time just like thinking about stuff that i'm interested in and then i'm excited to share it with people and i think Uh, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily where, I mean, and, and of course I have like a lot of confidence in the sort of like the things that I, you know, my ideas and stuff. And so I think the stuff know, that, I, you know. <laughs> the stuff that I know, yeah, the stuff that uh, I, and I want, I feel yeah. inspired to share that stuff and, and I want, you know, I crave like a sort of recognition, I think for, mm -hmm. for the ideas that I have or whatever. But, um, I think it's just sort of a way of, of of teasing myself or having some sort of, uh, humility mm -hmm. about being like, just being very excited. And maybe that being like, not something that everyone always shares. Uh, <laughs> very excited in certain details about certain <laughs> yeah, acoustic exactly. phenomena. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So I'm just this thought just comes to my head. It's the first in the UGEM podcast, but how about we do a quick book recommendation or reading recommendation while we were mentioning David Foster okay. Wallace? Do you have a recommendation for listeners? What should they read? If they read one thing by David Foster Wallace, what should they read? Oh, I okay, so I I think it's only Infinite Jest of his that I've read. Um mm -hmm. and I I mean, you know, when I was in my early 20s, it was a very uh, formative, formative read for me. And I think, you know, given given the book's size, I think that's probably like, uh, it could be enough David Foster Wallace reading for one lifetime. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's definitely not a quick, um, you know, not a, a, a quick trying out. That's what like a thousand pages or something, I think almost. Uh, yes, that's a really yeah, heavy... and and very few <laughs> yes. paragraph breaks okay yeah so infinite jest then i have the counter suggestion for those people who want to start light uh, one of my favorite texts uh, is actually um called a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again and it's an essay about um riding uh, or going on a um, cruise ship right he's he's basically it's like a real life essay um description of him going on a uh, on a cruise ship okay uh, yeah and it's it's not it's just 20 i don't know if you read it uh, it's a just a 20 30 page essay but i love it it's very funny and witty and uh it made me never set my foot on a cruise ship so far <laughs> you said sorry i i i didn't catch everything you said but you said it made you want to never step foot on a ship i broke up a <laughs> Fair exactly enough. Yeah, they ship. seem like very. It's yeah. I I don't know if I ever will either. I yes. I could see myself potentially getting into it, but it seems 
Yeah, I'd have to be in the right, have to be like feeling very, very open-minded at that at that point, I think. Yeah, so <laughs> so that's a new one, book on reading recommendations uh, on the UGEM podcast. Yeah. So your topics in your YouTube channel sounds good. Um, you know, they reach from, you know, the lives and times and deeds of Wendy Carlos to, you know, how does yes. physical modeling work? Uh, to yeah. all the way to uh, the sound of a weasel peeing in your ear, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's important. That's the fundamental knowledge that I really try to pass on to people. Yeah. So, but that's like the <laughs> wide range of topics that people can expect to learn about in um, yeah in so sounds good in your channel. So, how do you choose your topics? How do you encounter your your subjects? Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, it's, um, I feel like it's kind of, you know, you've actually caught me in a bit of a, I've actually taken a, a, a step back from making videos for the next maybe like month or two or mm -hmm. so. I'm sort of, re I'm getting through a little bit of a reevaluation phase. I mean, one thing that I just, I wanted to do was, uh, was like talk about people who, um, who haven't been, you know, haven't received the sort of uh, recognition that I feel like they deserve. Um, and so I guess part of the, part of the logic was just being like, okay, well, you know, I'll just like talk about people who, um, who have made these contributions, who are, who are women, who are queer, who are racialized, etc. Um, who I think, you know, should be just as famous as the sort of, uh, giants of our, uh, music history. Um, being a little bit more about musical ideas and then um, using, you know, and then re re referencing the people who had them or whose whose ideas support the ideas that I'm talking about. You single about them out again. It's a, it's a weird paradox, it, huh? Yeah. You, it's you a basically weird paradox. underline the thing that makes them, that alienates them. Yeah? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it might be a lot more exciting for people to be like, here's an interesting musical idea and this is the person who had the musical idea uh, who happens to be uh, a, a woman or whatever, have one of mm -hmm. these identities that mm -hmm. um, that keep people out of the mainstream narratives of, of mm -hmm. music history. And I mean, you're, to me, it sounds like you're onto something that at least right now is, if not in the mainstream, but it is gathering pace, uh, this mm -hmm. kind of discourse. And so then I wondered, like, there has been recently, I don't know, a few months ago, this movie had been released, Sisters with Transistors, uh, which was right. basically looking like a documentary that was looking at the untold stories of female pioneers in the synthesizer space, uh, you know, like Daphne Oram with the BBC Radiophonic Workshop or uh, yeah. Wendy Carlos, uh, for that matter. Um, so yeah. what do you, so how do you feel about that? Like, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, okay, I, I watched it and I, I enjoyed it. It was a cool, it was a cool film. Um, I think that the world is better off with that film in it. Um, those are my disclaimers. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, um, have studied these, you know, the, the specifics of these things like very deeply. And so I think sometimes I, you know, like I think this, this film was really oriented towards people who are not really, uh, music, enthusiasts, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, and I think that that has value, you know, like I think my parents could watch that movie and they would be like, cool. Like these, there were some cool, there were some cool women in that movie, you know? Um, but for me, I think the fact that they, that, um, a lot of the actual concrete discussion of their ideas or, or their work, um, it felt like it was really missing. Um, it really, it really left me with this feeling of just sort of being like, like what, like what are we doing? You know, it just says, just sort of like images of these compo like it's like archival footage and and somebody just sort of standing in the background mm -hmm. with, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just like clapping, uh, you know, just being like go 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 go, and it's like, well, it's good that people can be made aware that these people even exist, um, but. I just, you know, I feel like this incredible responsibility to represent these people and their ideas 
respectfully. And I think as, as we've, as has been established, like I'm learning how to do it better still. Uh, and maybe we'll Sorry to interrupt, but what I'm hearing is, and what I find uh, yeah. super fascinating is, so basically Sisters with Transistors was an impulse that you per perceived, received, that made you actually reflect on how do I do my YouTube videos, correct? <laughs> yeah? So, and, and, and maybe yeah. do I want to fine tune my stance and, you know, what, what kind of, um, Uh, uh, perspective or relation do I want to take towards my viewers? Uh, and what I'm hearing is you want to take yes. one that is not preaching from a pedestal. Um, and you're, yeah, for sure. That's super interesting. I think for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, that was one step along. Mm -hmm. That was one of many steps that have sort of led me to this new mm -hmm. sort of like plateau in my thinking about it. It's funny in my last video that I did that will be sort of in the style was on Pauline Oliveros. And I, I actually sort of go, I, it's funny because there's a section in the video where I kind of talk about these ideas. Um, and it's it, like in watching it again, I'm like, wow, I sort of just disproved my whole, or I just mm -hmm. sort of like effectively yeah. criticized my whole concept <laughs> in this section of the video. <laughs> so it's funny. It's funny how, uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess with these sort of deeper questions, um, mm -hmm. these really big questions, it takes a lot of time. And I think it's courageous to do that, you know, to uh, to question your own approach and to rethink it and to maybe adjust it. Something yeah. that is a rare, uh, a rare capacity, rare, <laughs> rare competency. Thank I, you. I think these days to just go like, hey, well, do I want to do this this way still? Do I want to do it differently? Maybe somebody else is right. Maybe I was a little bit wrong in places. Um, so, but, but, right, but purely technically, like from a creative, like from one creative to another, I'm just thinking about like your idea process is more like you wake up and you have an idea for the next video, yeah. or do you have like a meticulous list of, uh, 248 episodes planned out and you, <laughs> you know, you carefully weigh the pros and cons for each topic or you, you eavesdrop on people in the park. <laughs> Yeah, it's more, it's more like, it's more like that. It's more like, yeah. it's more like that. I have a list. Yeah, I have a pretty big list with highlights and it's, yeah, it's all, yeah, um, broken into different sub, sub genres and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I've been, so my approach has been to try and balance mm -hmm. um, something technical with something historical. Um, so, uh, and then recently I sort of, tried to break in, into doing tutorials. So that was my second mm -hmm. last video was the physical modeling. So there's, we have like history, history topics, like biographies or things like that. We have, or you have um, technical topics like explainers. And then now yeah. like a new thing is the tutorials, how to actually do yeah. things the, like the physical modeling one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what like, There might be yeah, a few exactly. YouTubers or, you know, upcoming YouTubers uh, listening in, you know, um, what's your, what's your top tip to them? Mm -hmm. Like when preparing, shooting, editing, composing, mixing, mastering. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's I your think hot, so hot my, tip? <laughs> my hot tip. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, people have very broadly different approaches. Uh, and different problems that come with those different approaches. Like for me, my stuff is very information dense, so it's a lot, a lot of, a lot of work. I maybe what I can say is my my advice to myself, um, and if that's useful to people, then then it can be. But I don't. I, everyone's situation is different because some people just will turn on the camera and they'll just talk to it and uh, and edit it up, and and you can you know get it out in, in an afternoon or something like that, right? And that's totally. There's lots of videos on YouTube that are made like that. that I really enjoy it. So, um, but I think for me, like having, having help, having a diversity of perspectives, I think is really helpful, especially if you're doing a kind of a more, a really intentional kind of project like mine. Um, mm -hmm. and so your hot tip is don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Do if it you with can. someone else. Yeah, totally. Don't mm -hmm. do it alone. Um, and be patient uh because mm -hmm. it's like it's a it's a long it's a long game um 
And there are lots of things that are really cool about it, um, but there are lots of things that are really are are pretty weird and and pretty difficult about like trying to uh, have a career on that uh, on that platform. And I, everyone's experience of it will be different, and maybe it's also just my own sort of the way that it interfaces with my own personality and stuff. But I've I found that it's it's hard to know like who I'm making the videos for because you don't get like a one-on-one kind of relationship, you know? Um, and then you sort of just get these weird sort of blips of feedback, like where somebody sends you an email or you get like a comment or something. And then, and then those things can have an, uh, maybe an outsized uh, impact on um, how you perceive your own, how you perceive other people perceiving your work, right? Because there's and for 99 people that don't send feedback, there's one person that sends feedback or more like 999 exactly, exactly. that don't and one so mm-hmm. exactly yes. i think having i think having other people around and having having some kind of support with it you know feels like important too like um and maybe and like some mentorship you know also can be mm-hmm. i think also can be useful because it's like it's yeah it's becoming more popular as like a job that that people want to have but it's not like i like i don't personally have any friends who are also who also make mm-hmm. youtube videos right so it feels like when i when i try to explain the situation i have to explain i have to explain the whole thing right because they don't know what it's like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it can be it can be a lot easier to get support from people when they already have they already understand so what i'm know? hearing is uh, three things Don't do it alone. Yeah. <laughs> If you can, get some help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, get to know your audience better. And yeah. don't just believe, don't just take those blips of feedback that are, you know, maybe not necessarily representative as the whole truth. Yeah. And and maybe connect with others that can help mentor you or have experience. So. Totally. So I, think, yeah. I think that's a that's a cool number of tips. And, you yeah. know, taking that all together, you're, you've been saying like this is, very stressful you know it's basically you're an entrepreneur you're doing mm-hmm. your youtube channel you're doing music so what you know what what keeps sarah feldman sane what what keeps you sane yeah, as an that's, artist that's such a good creative, question creative I mean, whirlwind yeah i i just i really try to uh i mean just like generally speaking i try to take good care of myself like i uh just give myself space to like relax and and decompress the 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 other the thing that i've had to maybe more learn um and to do more intentionally is is to just be like okay what is actually urgent and if if there's not something that needs to be done right now and i need to take a break take a break like go for a walk go to the beach hang out with a friend like do something fun you know not just Not just like, it's not like I'm just tired and I, you know, try and, you know, just like sit and scroll on, on Facebook for an hour, but like try to actually do something that like makes me happy. So put up know? some like prioritize and then put up some boundaries. Definitely. It's hard. It's hard to have boundaries, but it's necessary. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, um, there's a thing that I like to do on most episodes uh, so far, and this is like the equivalent to uh, the BBC yeah. has the Desert Island Discs show where people get asked what would be their favorite records that they would take on a, a you know on a lone island. Uh, but but I like to do the music tech version of that. Oh so goodness. if Sarah okay. Feldman had would have to go to a lonely island for the rest of times. Oh, okay. What are like the what are the th- three key equipments for music making or production that you would that you could not live without? Yeah, I mean I guess uh, probably like FM8 I use in basically every uh, in every project. The native instruments uh, FM synthesizer that's modeled after the FM seven from the 80s that one right yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's 
I mean, I love it because um, there's no, like there's, it's rather than being a set of algorithms that you choose from, um, mm. it's, you just kind of make your own, like it's, it's mm-hmm. just like a matrix of, mm-hmm. uh, you can to just, your nerdy pedantic side, FM synthesis, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But sometimes, but also a lot of the time it just sort of mm-hmm. simplifies things, right? Because it's not necessarily, uh, I mean, sometimes I have more complex patches, but I mean, I think you can do, you can do a lot with very little with FM synthesis. So I think a lot of the time it's also just like, uh, you know, modulate this, this oscillator with this one, um, rather than having to fit that into an algorithm that already exists just to, just to sort of click it out and and just go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also I use, uh, the collision synth from live, um, which featured mm-hmm. in my physical modeling synthesis mm-hmm. uh, video quite a uh, quite a lot, and it's very um, you know being able to just like map velocity to a couple of parameters in a physical model. Um, I think just mm-hmm. it's really easy to get very very like human sounding, very varied um, sounds. Uh, and so I really like that. I really like that potential. And I think, I guess I also just used it a lot. Um, and any, um, any natural physical instruments that you would take on, on your island? Do you? Well, it's funny. Like I, so my, int- my introduction to music period was the drums. I played like, I, um, I was like, I was like, I was a pretty big weirdo when I was a kid and I was, I had a hard time like fitting in. And then in my elementary school, the sort of cool kids started a band and they needed a drummer. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my way to, to like not be a loser anymore. Um, (laughs) so I, I got a, I got, I got a drum set and I ended up liking it a lot more than just for the, for the social purpose that it required. Although playing in in my band in elementary school was very fun. So instead of becoming Um, a musician, at least it helped you to hang out with actual musicians. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean and uh, yeah and then and i stuck with it after i played it played the drums like all through high school and really got it kind of became one of my obsessions so would um, you take a would you take a specific drum or a specific drum kit or is it pr- <laughs> well so so all of this to say um i this is sort of uh this interest has sort of mutated into the keyboard um because I, I think, but it, it's really, so I, I've just kind of started to do it seriously now. Like I've been, I've been, there's like a, there's a piano at the place that I'm like the sublet that I have here in Vancouver and I've been playing it every day and it's been very fun. Um, and I think that my drumming uh, experience really leads to like, I'm making, I'm really like excited about the progress that I'm making and it feels mm-hmm. like, it feels, it feels like I'm just, it doesn't feel like I'm starting from scratch. Like it feels like I'm just like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of turning one skill set into another skill set because mm-hmm. of course there's the, you know, uh, like limb independence is kind yes, of a big the, deal. The in independence of the limbs. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I've always loved yeah. playing instruments. And I find that so interesting with the piano because it's, um, I don't really play the piano. I can dabble. But I guess on a on a if I had to take something forever on a lonely island for yeah. the rest of my life, I think a piano would actually be a good choice because it's so much fun to sit at a piano yeah. and play, even if you can't really. And then you will have a lot of time for the rest of your life learning that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you get really you get really fucking good at it. By the yeah, you have it, a yeah. lot of uh, room to you know. I don't know if you take a conga, you, you know the maybe after two three years you're you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah definitely yeah, so a piano would be different so three things yeah. you're taking with so for the archives for the ujam podcast archives yeah. the three things yeah. that sarah feldman <laughs> is taking is uh, probably yeah. the fm8 or maybe an actual fm7 would you take an actual physical fm7 synthesizer or rather the plug-in? i've never i've never used an fm7 okay. i yeah yeah oh, and actually it's not an fm7 oh. it's a dx7 sorry Uh-oh. Oh, DX7. Get, yeah, I've used the DX7 quite a bit. Since nerds uh, for this mistake. 
<laughs> right. Well, no, I would use I would take FM8 over a DX7 because the DX7. Well, the DX7 is very cool and mm-hmm. it's very unique. I love the the mm-hmm. chip has this very unique quality to mm-hmm. it that I think is really special. Um, but I like the DX7 still has the algorithms that you mm-hmm. pre-select. So I would take okay. FM8 over. And, uh, and then the the, the, the collision sense yeah. that comes with uh, Ableton. So you get Ableton on your island. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's included in that. And then yeah. a drum kit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Yeah. Or yeah. a keyboard. Or a keyboard. Yeah, lots of albums yeah. that can be made yeah. on that island, I guess. Definitely. Okay. I think so. so. Yeah. And another question that yeah. I like to ask is, is there something that you have encountered in your work in terms of music tech that still has to be invented? You know, have you do you have this thing where you sometimes think I wish somebody would finally solve X problem XYZ? Yeah. Like a brain to, brain to MIDI, brain to MIDI converter. Pretty much. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much it. Um <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's obviously like I feel like um interfaces are still uh, a very interesting frontier. I mean, I feel like probably stuff out there now that maybe would would satisfy this need, but I think, you know, this there's there's kind of like fundamental tension of making um, making music on the computer, which is that it's incredibly powerful and can do so much more than any like hardware instrument could really possibly do. Um, but also, you know, you're just limited to to a mouse and keyboards, mm-hmm. and that's not very or like a you know QWERTY keyboard, whatever. So that's that's not a very um, mm-hmm. it's not a very human interface, um, and you know sort of thinking of uh, you know thinking of approaching it as an instrument um, which I guess it's just I, I don't know maybe maybe it's just not right to think of the computer as an instrument but maybe as a place where you can mm-hmm. put a bunch of instruments um, and playing it as one instrument is maybe just not maybe that's just not the right way to conceptualize it but I think yeah mm-hmm. the interface issue is obviously a, a complex a complex one and there are lots of you know, there have been lots of attempts and lots of sort of boutique things, but um, mm-hmm. nothing that I'm aware of that yeah. has really made it out into, you know, yeah, a consumer and it is product. still quite clumsy. Yeah. Um, you know, the MIDI keyboard, also the the resolution mm-hmm. on, you know, original MIDI and so on. It is very, very clumsy. There have been some attempts. Yeah. Uh, have you tried a Roly yeah. Seaboard by, by chance, this uh, keyboard? Uh-huh. I've I've uh-huh. never tried it, but I've seen them. Yeah. Um, they're very so, cool. So I think there yeah. have been attempts, but if you look at how intimately, I, let's say, a violinist interacts with their instrument, uh, or you know, a drummer for that, uh, it's it's still a difference to sit in front of a laptop and you know just have a MIDI keyboard and a yeah. mouse and uh, and so on. Yeah. So yeah, there's absolutely. still still some innovations. I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think just like human digital interfaces is probably in, in broadly speaking is uh, mm-hmm. still a very interesting uh, space with lots of potential. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So thanks for, for sharing those uh, desert island uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, thoughts uh, with us. Of course. Of as, course. As the last um, thing for today, uh, I have planned an ambush. So, okay. So I try to come up with, uh, you know, surprising things to do with guests. And I, I, had, <laughs> okay. I had been thinking about what to do with Sarah Feldman. So I, are you ready okay. for a little experiment, for a little ambush? Yeah, let's do yes. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to judge some things that are happening around music tech these days. So I want to okay. talk. <laughs> I want to talk with you and trash talk and and bitch okay. about you know global developments in the music and music tech space. So okay. I, I want to call okay, this bring seg- the drama. I want to call this segment "Fly or Fail." Fly or fail? Is it going to crash? Fly or fail? Is it going to crash? Or will it prevail? So basically, we want Sarah Feldman's judgment or on is something gonna fly, or is it gonna okay. crash and crash and burn? You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I so I have yeah. prepared a few um, headlines, the recent headlines okay. uh, from the, from the press, 
and I, I just like your <laughs> I just like your ruthless take on is this a good idea or okay. is this not a good idea okay great okay are you ready I am I am as ready as I'll ever be okay I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the headlines to uh, to you so the first one let's start let's start easy Uh, so the first one okay, is okay. Native Instruments and Isotope have joined forces to create an umbrella group focused on new creative possibilities for musicians, producers, and audio engineers. The new legion, the new allegiance, will see both companies continue to operate under their own brands with no structural changes to either organization. It's not yet clear what this practically means for them. Uh, but we'd expect some merging of technology, especially with Isotope's focus on machine learning and with their mixing and stem separation plugins that, ha that have already become extremely popular. So this is an excerpt from the DJ yeah. Mac. So what's your take? Fly or fail? Very interesting. Well, you know, I think it, like, I feel like the sort of intellectual and curious part of me would, is excited to see what comes of that. because I think those are two companies that obviously have created a bunch of really amazing tools and, feels like there's just like a, a lot of a lot of brain power uh, from, from both of those people. But I wonder, I, I do, I mean, I could see it going in this in this area where, um, you know, where digital instruments can can definitely go where things are just so complex and uh, and sort of like multifaceted that they become less useful. That they become like, overwhelming you know, or I they think, keep you from being actually creative. Exactly. You know, like if you have a synth with like eight oscillators and they can be wavetable or granular or whatever, and you know, um, then it, it's, it sort of stops being useful. And I would wonder if it, if it's something like that, uh, would go in that direction. Um, like I'm sort of like, I guess my initial reaction is like, I want, I, I'd like to, I'm excited to see it, but do I, am I like opening up my wallet ready to buy whatever comes out? Like maybe, maybe. Jury's still out. Jury's, Jury's still, still out. out. Yeah. So it's, you know, yeah. uh, okay. It's like Schro Schrodinger's <laughs> plane, but we don't know yet. Yeah, we yeah, don't know I'm yet <laughs> whether. Okay. Okay. Next one. Yeah. Next one. Uh, the headline is lossless audio and Dolby Atmos in Apple Music. Uh, Apple today announced Apple Music is bringing industry-leading sound quality to subscribers with the addition of spatial audio and support for Dolby Atmos. Spatial audio gives artists the opportunity right. to create immersive audio experiences for their fans with true multidimensional sound and clarity. Apple Music subscribers will be able to listen to more than 75 yeah, million songs in lossless audio. <laughs> uh, these new features will be available for Apple Music subscribers starting next month at no additional cost. This is actually a uh, press release from Apple. Yeah. Uh, I think two months two months ago. So what do you what do you say about Dolby yeah. Atmos and and spatial audio in in Apple Music? I I find it hard to imagine that people are going to care uh -huh. or that people do care. Like. Um, I mean, especially on a platform like Apple Music, where it's really like the broadest audience uh, possible, right? The um, broadest audience possible. So let me just repeat what you just said, yeah. that they're the McDonald's of, <laughs> of streaming uh, streaming music. Something like that. that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. You know, like I, I'll, you know, I go to McDonald's every once in a while, but um, yeah, I think it's hard to imagine... Like, I'm like, I'm like, I've seen, so I have Apple Music and I have, I like on my little homepage or whatever, I've seen that this, this like sort of spatial audio thing come up and I'm like, I'm like the music nerd of music nerds and I don't feel compelled to check it out. So, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine mm -hmm. that, 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 that anyone So that sounds will. like a clear fail. Sounds like. I think it's a, a fail. fail. Yeah. Oh, that was, that's. Yeah, it's like a full. It's a plane crash. <laughs> That's gonna yeah. be an ex expensive, <laughs> expensive one, but maybe not not so expensive for Apple, relatively. Yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, no, for sure they'll be okay. So the, so um, that was the easy ones. Now I think there's a really controversial. Okay. And now I have a really controversial one for you, um, because also especially because you're a synth lover. <laughs> 
So the headline from the new yeah. musical explorer from uh, about a month ago is MOOC music accused of workplace discrimination in one million dollar lawsuit. So I'm going to read the subheadline. Mm. Former worker Hannah, Gr Hannah Green is suing the iconic synthesizer firm Moog, one of the world's most famous synthesizer companies. Uh, they have been accused of workplace discrimination, verbal abuse, physical assault, and misogyny in a new lawsuit. Oh my goodness. Green decried Moog as a boys club and said she was constantly subjected to inappropriate humor, including a joke about golden showers and a joke about killing a woman in a sales team meeting. Mook man Do you say Mook or uh, Moog? I still don't know. Moog, I guess Moog is I think I say Moog. Moog I say yes. Moog, yeah. Moog management allegedly yeah. took no action when she reported the misconduct. Yeah. What's your reaction to that headline? Yeah. Uh uh you know that meme that's like disappointed but not surprised? Uh -huh. I think it's uh. <laughs> it's that one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean it's a it's a headline and um, you know, I'm, I can't, you know, there's no way that you can make a definitive statement about something that's going on in some sort of internal community based on, based on a headline, but also, um, you know, I, there's no, if, if, if all of that comes, comes to be, you know, proven to be true, um, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think, um, I guess, I, I I wish I wish it wasn't like this, but but like there's really no part of me that really feels shocked to to hear something like that. Yeah, unfortunately. Do you see something developing there? I mean, I also know the the at least the music tech industry as a very you know white you know male uh, yeah. world, and I have seen also my share of of boys yes. clubs. Like, do you see development there? Do you see a glimmer of, or what's that called, a sliver yeah. of hope on the horizon? What's your Ooh, experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain, yeah, I think there are certain ways that are improvements have to to like working conditions for for women in general um, have been made, and I think there are other ways that um, that if that feel harder to um, to sort of imagine evolving. Like, I think that um, it's more just like that we're talking about it now, you know, and mm -hmm. people are reacting to it in all kinds of different ways. Like people are, are reacting to it in negative ways and other people are, um, you know, reacting to it in a way where it's sort of like, okay, we should probably do something. Um, and then to change the situation. And then there's probably other people who are like, this is really serious. And, you know, we need to have like a pretty fundamental uh, upheaval of the, the sort of current social and, and economic structures. Um, you know, like, like where there's a lot of people in power who are willing to sort of like do or say the right thing if, if it doesn't really put them out too much or it sort of serves their own personal agenda. But if it requires an actual like economic or personal sacrifice, um, then there's like a whole sort of segment of the population that's just kind of like, oh, okay, this mm -hmm. is too much for me. Like, I'm really happy with how things, how things are. And I, I'm not willing to make those personal sacrifices to actually see some sort of more concrete change. Um, you know, and then there's also definitely cultural environments where there's just an, a sort of an outright rejection of, um, mm -hmm. of these discussions about, uh, about sexism and misogyny. So, um, yeah. What would, would you, that's... so let's not judge, <laughs> let's not judge Moke here because it's an ongoing yeah. lawsuit, of course, and we don't know, yeah. we don't yeah. know what's going on, but I wonder What is your, what would be your advice for, you know, companies, at least in the sector, is there like any one thing that you yeah. would, like one recommendation? With these, with these issues, it's like, uh, the kind of change that needs to happen is uncomfortable. I would just implore people to be really honest with themselves about what, um, making those kinds of changes might actually look like. Like, I think that there's kind of, you know, as I've, as I've sort of already alluded to, right. There's like this idea of being like, okay, like we can, we can be inclusive and we can, you know, hire some women or, or whatever. Um, 
but I think that like, you know, when we think about like some kind of substantive change, I think it requires like a, a pretty deep like reorientation of, of like the sort of like cultural or the social and like economic systems that we all just sort of like, um, participate in you know so it's like okay so like we have to be willing to fire people if if they are causing if they're causing problems we have to be willing to pay mm -hmm. women like what they actually deserve to be paid mm -hmm. like we have to be willing to do things that are like inconvenient um or mm -hmm. or that maybe require like a lot of effort and 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 money or whatever like we have to be willing to make like sort of concrete changes um mm -hmm it's not just as easy as just sort of like welcoming women into the fold and sort of just expecting it all to work out. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that requires, that requires like a lot of courage, you know, it's like, it's not, um, you know, and I'm not trying to make it seem like it's this daunting, like horrible thing that has to happen. But I think, because I think that ultimately like, you know, it, it does like the world will just be a much better place for everyone. Um, the less sort of like sexism and misogyny there is in it. Like, I think everyone stands mm. to have a better life um, when our, you know, our social relations are not mediated by these sort of like oppressive um, social mores or whatever. Right. Um, but that like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not easy and we have to be willing to like, to, to change in some kind of meaningful way, which I think, uh, yeah, to, which is scary to take it to take action yeah yeah to take action I mean the things that you're mentioning like being willing to go all the way and fire people who have you know um, harassed or you know I don't yeah. know uh, people uh, it's you know it's a very tangible uh, thing exactly and and from what I'm from what I'm hearing is what you're saying is it all starts with acknowledging that these things are there you know I yeah. uh, and I find that very I find that uh, like almost the most important point, you know, I often mm. think the hallmark of the racist is that they will tell you, well, I'm not racist, you know, so because <laughs> I think it all starts with all of right. us, uh, all of us, uh, um, you know, uh, admitting to ourselves that, you know, I do have racist impulses sometimes maybe, you know, For um, sure. you know, For sure. we're all imprinted by, you know, uh, things that have been going uh, on around us. So it's Absolutely. so yeah. it all starts with acknowledging that, and then maybe you know being honest about it, and and, and taking taking action. So, For sure, yeah. It, like it's sort of like the stench. The stench is on all of us. Yeah, yes. I like that. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, but in terms of fly or fail, I guess make the music tech yeah. industry a little less a little less toxic a place. You know that some of us has have. How yeah. is that gonna go? Is that gonna fly or is that gonna fail? I think it's gonna be another Schrodinger's plain plain answer. <laughs> is it gonna be another Schrodinger's yeah, yeah. cat? Yeah. I I feel hopeful, but um, you know, like I think it just takes a long, a long time, and it's like it's so much work, and there's so much sacrifice, and there's gonna be so much, you know, like with any with any kind of like social change, you know, it's like these things are so deeply entrenched that I think, like, I think it's important to acknowledge that like things have really improved. Like, you know, sexism is a totally different thing than it was even like 10 years ago um, or 20 years ago or something. And I think that, you know, that needs to be acknowledged, but I think like the, the sort of like linear, linear progress is not a guarantee. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something that we can take for granted. Um, and so you know, I would be, I would be a little bit, uh, nervous to say that, to just, to just be like, oh yeah, it's going to get better. You know, like, I think it mm -hmm. is, I do think it is, but I think like, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's nothing to be complacent about, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah. It's a work in progress. Yes, yes definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sarah, for, you know, going on that little, you know, on that little <laughs> journey of fly or fail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure thanks, yeah it's been we've had some weird the... plane weird plane experiences <laughs> here but <laughs> yes thanks for taking the the going with me on that little adventure on the take taking that ambush and thanks for being on the podcast today Absolutely. so your youtube channel is your youtube channel is called sounds good 
Sounds that good channel. Should be yeah. Easy enough to, yeah, that uh, should be easy enough to type into uh, the search field in YouTube. I recommend it very much. Yeah. I enjoy it so much. Yeah. I recommend it to everybody to learn awesome. a lot of interesting, entertaining things. Yeah. Um, yes. So any any last words from you to the to the UGEM podcast audience? Um, well, I guess I can also say that um, I I teach private private music lessons. Um, so if anyone's interested in sort of Uh, taking their getting the getting the skills they need to take their relationship to making uh, electronic music to the next level. Um, they I offered a couple of different courses, um, and including uh, composition and ear training and music theory and synthesis. So if anyone's interested in that, they can uh, head over to sarah-feldman.com/learnmusic and they can get more information there and book a lesson. Cool, and we'll put the um, we'll put all the links to your yeah you know to your stuff uh, in the show notes if yeah. people are interested. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I have a band also uh, called Watering, uh, and you can check us out at watering.bandcamp.com as well. Um, and I make my own music at sarahfeldman.bandcamp.com yes. as well. So there's, there's a, a whole, whole lot to explore. A whole bunch of stuff you we'll can do. We'll put all the links in the <laughs> show notes. Enjoy yes. uh, the rest of your time in Vancouver on the West Thank Coast. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great, great chatting with you today. Time flies when you're having fun, so this is it. Everything must come to an end. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, why don't you hit subscribe? If you have any questions, comments, anything that you would like to share with us, send an email to support at ugem.com and mention the podcast. And the only thing left to do is say thank you to the people collaborating on the podcast. There is Simon Stanzel who did the editing. There's music by Joel Dawes. Peter Gorges and Rick DiFonso. This whole thing wouldn't exist without the scheduling and managerial skills of Yannick Heinke. So we'll wrap this one up with a track produced with Virtual Drum and Brute that has been mixed to sound like a life from the 1970s. Enjoy. Enjoy.